law enforcement aviation, it's all about the police mission itself. It's all about creating officer safety, enhancing public safety. It's not like you're going to go out and save the day the first time every time, but I can cover 100 acres of cornfield <laughs> with a point of view that somebody can't hide from. We have the ability to help out our officers in anything that they're doing. If they need help, we're overhead, we're providing cover, we're providing observations, we're able to land and assist if needed. At the end of the Vietnam War, thousands of young helicopter pilots returned to the US looking for work. Many of these men used their flying skills to adapt the helicopter for new jobs along the way creating entirely new industries that still play a critical role in society today. Airborne law enforcement is one of the most important examples. One of those pilots was Stan Rose, now the CEO of the Helicopter Safety Alliance. I got back from Vietnam in 71. And unfortunately, prior to that time, the thing that held back the helicopter industry was a lack of pilots. You know, they don't fly like airplanes, so you sort of have to be uh, a helicopter-specific guy. You know, helicopter pilots can jump in an airplane, but an airplane pilot can't jump in a helicopter. You know, it just doesn't, doesn't work. But I think the Army trained somewhere between seven and 10,000 pilots, right? And, and half of us got dead in Vietnam. But the interesting thing is that after Vietnam, we had thousands of pilots and no jobs. Welcome to Shepherd Studios Revolutions in Vertical Flight, brought to you in partnership with Bell. In our first series, we learned about the history of vertical flight and discovered the key pioneers and revolutionary moments that created the rotorcraft industry we know today. In this second series, we learn more about the helicopter's role in society and how it helps overcome obstacles, protect the public, and ultimately save lives. We'll hear from a range of operators about how they use helicopters to carry out those tasks that are too expensive or dangerous to conduct by other means. And we consider the future, discovering how greater autonomy is poised to reshape the role of rotorcraft even further. Stan Rose and a friend joined the U.S. Army Reserves, allowing them to keep flying while learning about potential employment opportunities. This role led him into several new helicopter sectors, including airborne law enforcement. So we had a B-model Huey in our reserve unit, and it had literally come from somewhere, went through the overhaul process. This was a, a freshly overhauled, UH-1, but the smaller version, right? It's not like the classic uh, long-body uh, Huey. It's shorter, a little stubbier. But the thing had like 400 hours on it. It, it was virtually a new aircraft, right, in, in the unit. And a bunch of us were bemoaning. It was one of our better flying ships. You know, we, we liked the helicopter. And we got orders to turn it into the desert. It was fresh out of overhaul. It hadn't been out of overhaul for two years and, and they said, eh, we're not going to keep any of the B models, send it to the desert for storage, right? So it was going to the boneyard. 
And so a bunch of us were uh, bemoaning this fact. And one of the guys uh, had a friend over in a local police department. And so we all got together at a bar one night and, and the, the guy from the police department said, well, we just found out that if we apply, we can get surplus stuff. Why don't we get this helicopter and uh, maybe some other helicopters? Well, one arm of that turned into the Huey. We turned into the first air. Uh, it was actually the fourth air medical helicopter in the United States. And at the same time, as soon as you open the door at the boneyard, they say, what else do you want? And they took <laughs> some light observation helicopters and we turned them into police ships, you know, Bell 47. And so at, at one point in time, we had, yeah, I think we had six aircraft, right? Now, we only had the Huey and at any one time, we, we had one, sometimes two Bell 47s that were flying, right? But we were doing some interesting stuff. And, you know, today we take it all for granted, right? That there's search and rescue, that there's, there's things like this. But, you know, some of the, and you think about police work and, and some of the stuff today, they're doing so much with the infrared and uh, night vision goggles, all of this stuff. The communities that found themselves supported by a police helicopter unit quickly saw the advantages that the hovering eye in the sky offered. You become known as the guys who have a helicopter. You know, the guys from other counties call you up, right? And so, you know, just to give you an example, there was an old man and his dog who were, you know, apparently at six o'clock at night on a winter night, he left his friend's house and was going home, walking home with his dog. And he's an elderly guy. And his friend waits a couple hours, and this is before cell phones. His friend waits an hour or so, because it's, it's a good long walk back to his place, calls him up to the house, he doesn't answer. He calls again, doesn't answer. So now they've got people out looking for him. You know, the police are looking for him on the roads and all this stuff, right? Well, they've exhausted the search, and they don't know where the guy could be. And so they called us because we have a big spotlight, right? And uh, so I flew over there. So I'm talking to the police on the ground and, you know, you're trying to get the lay of the land. I said, all right, whoever's at the house where he left, turn on the lights on your car. So now I know where the lights on the car are, right? And then you, okay, whoever's at his house, turn on the lights on your car. You turn on the light. Well, the road goes down a half a mile to an intersection, turns 90 degrees left and back up the hill. Uh, another half a mile to his house. But when they turn on the lights at those two places, there's a power line that goes exactly between the two, right? And of course, no cars can drive on the power line. And so we flew down the power line. There he was. Right? And we found him in, in five minutes, right? Just by, by having that other view, right? So yes, helicopters are expensive. They cost you X number of dollars an hour. But when you can when you can hone in on something as quickly as that, you're saving money because they had they had 20 cop cars out. Like by the time you know, by the time they get everybody out, and then the dogs, and then the thing, and they found the guy, you know, huddled up with his dog trying to stay warm. So that's one example. Helicopters can carry out many airborne law enforcement tasks, most notably in the surveillance role. It's not like you're going to go out and save the day the first time every time, but I can cover a hundred acres of cornfield. <laughs> with a point of view that somebody can't hide from, right? Where, where covering that by ground is time consuming. So it's, uh, you know, it's not like we got out every day and, and did hero work, but we saved people a lot of work and we, and we augment, you know, and so, and that was the foundation for, 
for what we do today. And today they've, uh, <laughs> they're doing stuff I never thought of, believe me, uh, you know, but, but the early days of this were spent with us trying to use the knowledge that we gained in Vietnam, right, for some good. And, and part of that was therapy for ourselves, believe me, you know, trying to do something that was worthwhile and made all this worthwhile, you know, so that was gratifying work. Sergeant Tyler Johns is a chief helicopter pilot at the California Highway Patrol, which has been involved in airborne law enforcement for decades, both fixed and rotary wing. The largest statewide law enforcement agency in the United States, the California Highway Patrol, operates 15 helicopters. The helicopter fleet offers many advantages for police work, particularly when it comes to search and rescue. Well, uh, on the helicopter side, the advantages for our, our helicopter specifically are the regional rescue platform of being able to rescue people that are trapped in harm's way, in essence, and the ability to, and really this is the gist of it, is to help the people of California wherever they're at, but also help out our officers on the ground. That is what a helicopter brings to the table. And when I say helicopter, I also would like to incorporate our airplane into that as a, a, a huge tool to assist our officers and people. And, um, but the helicopter specifically, uh, when we're tasked with responding to a person that has been, uh, that is injured out in the middle of the desert, on the side of a mountain, on the coastline, in the very wooded areas of our state, they, they need help. And a lot of the times we're the only aircraft that is responding to that location. And so it is the only way that that person can get rescued because of where they're at is with a helicopter. And that is rewarding. And that's what it brings to the table, the ability to locate the person in these rural areas that's miles and miles away from anything, locate them. With our rescue gear, we're able to lower personnel down, hoist them up to the helicopter uh, with their injuries, and take them to a hospital to recover. That's what the helicopter brings to the table on helping our people. But there's other things we do besides rescue. I mean, for example, we also do ALS uh, medevacs. So, again, a family gets in a crash and it's one of the low points in their life. We're able to land to the scene, provide medical aid, and take them to the hospital. And so that is the essence of what a helicopter can do for helping our people. The other part of that is when it comes to law enforcement, and that's with any of our aircraft. We have the ability to help out our officers, for example, in, in anything that they're doing. They need help. We're overhead. We're providing cover. We're providing observations. We're able to land and assist if needed. For example, one time I was flying the fixed wing for the department out of our thermal unit, like I talked before, and it's a very desolate desert region, and I got tasked with searching for some wire thieves, and uh, I located the wire thieves actually stealing the wire from an old abandoned church about a, a, a structure. So I located the, the, the thieves, they got in their car, and they traveled out through uh, Parker 
towards Parker, Arizona, but through Vidal Junction and the areas of the desert that are just hundreds of miles of, of desolation. And so I, I followed this to try to get an officer uh, to the location. And in the, because it's so rural, the officers in that area are called resident post officers. So they might be the only officer for hundreds of miles. So I got a hold of him. Luckily, he was working. He pulled in behind the suspects after following it for about an hour. And he pulled in behind the suspects. And we were going to try to wait until uh, another officer, uh, as we got closer to the border of Arizona, another officer could could help assist because there was three bad guys or, or three um, three suspects and one officer at this point. Well, they pulled over immediately. So now we have out in the middle of the desert, we have a an officer that is outnumbered by three suspects. And uh, it just wasn't a good situation. So I basically turned around, landed on the highway uh, with the airplane, got out and, and helped the officer conduct a felony stop and take the suspects into custody. So that's what we can offer from the aircraft. And we've done that many times in the, in the helicopter as well. And uh, so that's what we offer. And that's what's unique about the our aircraft, but also specifically the helicopter is rescuing people, helping out our officers and the ability to land at places where no other aircraft can get into. But what does it take to build an airborne law enforcement capability? It isn't easy. With planners facing challenges around logistics, technology and funding. For the Stockton Police Department in California, the benefits have more than justified the costs. Stockton PD's new aviation unit began operations in the summer of 2019, flying with a Bell 505. The department's experiences since then underline the advantages of helicopters as force multipliers for police. Here's Chief Pilot Daniel Lowry. Um, it was about three years ago that Chief had been pushing for an air unit for, uh, for a long time. And obviously they're expensive and uh, money's always tight. So he was actually able to get some money set aside to be able to start a unit. So we started doing research and getting things ready to go. Things came up and uh, that money went away. So this, the, the program was turned off and then it was turned back on again about another year later. And so we started doing the research again and then it was turned off. But the chief has done an amazing job in the city with uh, the programs that he's implemented and the work that he's done with community-oriented policing, um, it got the attention of some people at the Capitol, and uh, he was able to campaign and get the governor to uh, give us a, a $3 million grant to start the air unit. And so then it was turned back on again, and uh, we started moving forward. Like you said, defining the mission, that was, it's one thing, you really want an air unit, and then all of a sudden you find out that it's happening, and you're like, okay, wow, now I have this mountain to climb, and I'm not sure exactly how to do it. And uh, we just kind of did it one step at a time and, and starting with the research, going to uh, as many agencies as we could. And everybody in the LEO air support community, it's a small community and they're amazing. Everybody couldn't help us more. They're just uh, we're more than willing to do anything for us. So we went and talked to these agencies and learned um, what works and what don't. And it was it was eye opening and it was uh, a huge help. It really was. It was uh, it really got us moving in the right direction. You know, some of the big key things that we learned was you're, you're having to try to teach like your admin, your your uh, city politicians and your community about something that they don't know or understand anything about. I mean, we know if you're in aviation, you understand it's kind of a whole 
different animal on its own. And uh, so you're trying to educate them to understand the mindset that we got to be in when it comes to this. And one of the things we learned was when it comes to figuring out budgets, not trying to sugarcoat it or, or downsize it or make it seem like, you know, try to downplay the numbers and it's only going to cost this much. So it's, so it's more palatable. The problem there, obviously you come back later and now we need more money and um, that's you know, not going to be real popular. So um, we were told just to, if anything, inflate the numbers. Um, so that way you're on the safe side. And that way, when you come in under that, then you're the hero and they're going to love you and you keep operating. Um, I thought that was a really good key thing that we learned. And then also trying to, you almost have to kind of advertise the, the aircraft because you got to be able to show why are we spending all this money on this? Um, and you have to, you know, have in place from day one, as soon as we take, took off from that, the pad the first day, we had to have something in place that we could be able to track numbers, quantify what we're doing out there. And, uh, and as far as like man hours saved every time that we handle a call and a unit doesn't have to go out there, missing persons at risk that we found anytime that we can shut down a code three run because paramedics are already on scene at the crash. That's, reduces that liability there. There's all these different things that we need to be able to quantify, be able to show, look, this is what we're doing so that they understand because they don't. And it's uh, kind of your job to make sure that they understand what it is you're doing and, and the difference that, that the aircraft is making. Buying the aircraft and establishing the unit demanded a patient, step-by-step approach. I mean, I, I think there was a lot. There was just seemed like one challenge after the next, but you just, you know, as each one kind of falls in your lap, you just figure out a way to, to work through it. But the funding for, for, say, like maintenance, you know, they want to give you, you know, how it normally works. You get so much money and then you don't use all that money. So next year they're like, well, you don't need that much. You didn't use it all. So we're going to give you less money. Well, it doesn't work like that. We're, we're different. And that's where you got to teach them. You know, I didn't have to replace parts this year. Next year, I might have to replace some parts. So it might cost a little more. Um, and you've got they have to understand that and trying to, like, put money aside so that you're. Uh, you're ready for that when it comes and not have that touched or go to some other project, you know, when it's needed, it's another challenge. So uh, those were tough. There's selecting the aircraft. That was another challenge. For some reason, somehow there's somebody out there that finds out that you're looking to start an air unit. And I was inundated with every manufacturer of anything that flies and they were calling and emailing and, and wanting to come see us and trying to sell us, you know, every machine you could think of. And there was, Things that I was thinking about, the the main things that that we had learned from our research was, uh, what's your mission? Start with your mission. I knew that basically we're going to be a patrol car in the sky, um, similar to Fresno City. We talked to them and they were a very similar city to ours. And and so we knew that we're just, we're not inserting SWAT. We're not doing long line. We're just going to patrol and and be there for the, the officers on the ground. So with that in mind, we started looking at aircraft and I looked at used aircraft to try to save money, get into it cheaper and um, try to, you know, have some money aside because, you know, we're nervous starting this new year. You know, I want to make sure I had uh, a little extra in case something come up that we didn't think about. And that was kind of the way we were going to go. And then I got contacted by um, Bell and they wanted to bring the 505 out. And honestly, at first, I, I didn't know anything about it. And, uh, I didn't really think it was for us, but they were persistent. They brought it out. And in one flight, I honestly knew that, that that's what we needed to have because the, the performance that it had, the comfort, 
and um, the ability, and then also the cost of uh, operation. Because we were looking at an A star, and honestly, I think um, the 505 operates for half of what the A star operates for, and uh, and is does everything that we need it to do. I mean, the, the A star didn't do anything that that the 505 doesn't that we need. So, um, and then a brand new aircraft, so it's under warranty, and I know. You know, I'm not going to have any surprises like buying a used car. You get home, you don't know what you're getting. Some transmission could fall out of it. So we got a new helicopter. I know it's good. There's going to be bugs, but that's where Bell kind of, and I like to think that our success is is not because, you know, we did anything super. We had some amazing people around us and Bell is, the, the customer service is, is unreal. Anytime there was an issue, immediately people were on it, fixing it, getting it taken care of, and we never lost any, uh, any, any patrol time. And that was huge. And that was one of my biggest fears that kept me up at night. If I, if I select up some aircraft and then something happens in the very beginning, cause we, I try to explain to everybody, we have to be flawless. We have to be perfect. We have, we don't have any room for error because everybody's watching this and they're just waiting to, to, to pull the handle, you know, and just get rid of this and save money. So we have to be, we have to hit the ground running and do good things. And, uh, with the help of Bell always, being there and keeping those, keeping on top of any of those problems. And it, it didn't matter what time of day it was, they'd immediately get on the computer and are already just trying to work out a, a fix for it. I mean, it might sound like, like I worked for Bell, but I mean, it's just, it's just how it happened. And that, that's what helped us be successful. And I'm appreciative of that. So it's a big deal. So what's it like actually to work in airborne law enforcement? Daniel Lowry found that out on day one of the new Stockton PD Aviation Unit. Yeah, you know, we, we were pretty nervous our first day out, and uh, we're trying to get out there and, and see how everything was going to, to mesh together. And uh, on the first flight of the first day, we got called by the Auto Theft Task Force. They had an occupied stolen car. Um, they asked us to, to uh, pick it up, and we did with the flare from a long distance away. They didn't have to engage the vehicle, try to get into a chase or end up, you know, with a, uh, some type of liability from a crash or something due to the pursuit. They just stayed back. And, uh, we followed the vehicle until it pulled over and both occupants got out and walked away about a half a block away. And we called in the ground units and they came in and uh, grabbed the two. And uh, even on the FLIR, we have one of them throwing some narcotics over a fence as the officers pull up. And, um, had that all on video so that was the first flight of the first day that was a big deal it, it made me very happy it just it just showed that that there's a need for the aircraft here and uh, it's, it's it's gonna do good things like many parts of the helicopter sector airborne law enforcement traces its roots to the 1940s as one of the pioneering helicopter manufacturers bell has played a vital role over the decades Here's Terry Miauchi, a former commander in the Arizona Department of Public Safety, who now works in the parapublic segment of Bell's Customer Solutions team. Bell actually fielded the, the world's first police helicopter, if you will. Um, you have to go all the way back to uh, 1948, uh, and it was a, also a Bell 47. And, and it's really that history since then that I guess you could say is impressive. Not only is that that operator that bought that first police helicopter is still in business today with Bell products. But, uh, you know, operators around the world today are, are partnered with Bell, if you will, in Bell products. In fact, more than uh, 
any other OEM, actually. I think you have to, and, and this is where it kind of hits home for me, I think you, you have to look at the, the mission. You know, law enforcement, aviation, it's all about the police mission itself. It's all about creating officer safety, enhancing public safety. And, you know, whether that's a pursuit, catching a bad guy or or just, a, you know, a routine patrol, if you will. Um, Bell understands that mission very well. And because of that, I, I believe it had a, a very successful history. You know, that, that first mission in 1948 had a goal of public safety. That same goal exists today, 72 years later here. You know, from my personal perspective, I've been fortunate to be part of that for a long time. And I guess that's one of the things I'm proud of that I, I not only used to be an operator, but now I get to to support those operators on a global basis in that regard. Airborne law enforcement has grown in importance over the decades thanks to the immense benefits it provides police as a force multiplier. Here's Matt Jane, marketing manager for the Bell 505. You're doing the job of multiple vehicles and multiple foot units from the air. I think there's a, a study LAPD had done where they're showing it was 20 or 27 to 1 ratio of cars to helicopters. So essentially what they were using for justification is that one helicopter on the scene is about equivalent to 20 cars on the ground as far as the amount of ground they can cover and, and visibility and the job they're out there doing on a scene. So I think the the mission overall probably hasn't changed all that much. I think it's really a it's an asset with with eyes in the air that can provide help to the ground. But what's improved is is the technology aspect of things. You think of you know, way back when in the, in the 40s and 50s when they're flying Bell 47s with a pair of binoculars to today where you can literally have a camera on the nose of the aircraft and at 1,200 feet view a license plate or use an IR camera to see somebody hiding under a bush. Or I've seen videos where you've got a person that's running from the police. They've crawled underneath a car and you can literally see his crawl track underneath the vehicle. Stockton PD actually who recently bought a 505, tells this great story where literally the, the first day, the first hour, they were able to get up in the air with their, their new helicopter. They had a car chase, and one of their police units was about to pull out in front of the car and would have gotten T-boned. I mean, it would have been real bad. And they were able to, from the air, be like, hey, don't pull out. Just wait a second. We got them. And so all the units were able to sit back and wait, and they just followed the car to the house the people got out of the car and they were able to pull up on the ground and, and arrest them with no accidents, no damage, no gunfire, you know, none of the none of the bad stuff that can be associated with a car chase. And so it just provides this this unique asset where you can honestly just keep people safer and especially the, the ground units and you know the citizens safer on the ground because you can do stuff from a from a standoff distance and cover so much more ground with one asset versus you know, having to flood the scene with, with cruisers. Jeremy Graham is a fellow of the Royal Aeronautical Society and former chief engineer for Augusta Westland. Like Jane, he stresses the force multiplier impact of helicopter law enforcement platforms. They're able to do things with one aircraft, with two or three guys on board, that 50 people on the ground would barely be able to do. And of course they can move around very quickly as well. And it's been a 
It's been a revelation, I think, to the UK police force, what the helicopter can do. So if it in terms of what makes a police helicopter good, now why is it suddenly, reasonably suddenly, become a, a really useful tool for the police force? I would say it's down to three things, really. Um, not much to do with helicopter technology. Little bit, I guess, in respect of cost of ownership, because the modern heli civil helicopter is designed with cost of ownership in mind, for sure, whereas previously that was really masked by the uh, attempt to make the things work properly and to give reasonable uh, vehicle performance. But these days they are certainly easier on the wallet to, to, um, to operate. Uh, I would say there's three things, really. There's digital technology, which is used in comms and the operator interface and data processing. An obvious one, but, but a bit mundane, is GPS. That's absolutely revolutionized all sorts of aviation aspects. And high-quality, low-cost cameras, which can operate across a multiple waveband so they can see in the dark as well as in the day. Those three things together have really transformed the value of the aircraft, made it a truly useful asset to police forces. As with other parts of the helicopter industry, safety is a crucial aspect. Here's Daniel Lowry again. Obviously, safety is paramount. It's with, with any type of incident, it could obviously be the end of a program, no matter how successful you are. So I, I I knew that and I tried to express that to everyone. So if there was no reason to be doing something, then, then why are we doing that? I always say that something might be uh, seem like a good idea, but if it's absolutely not necessary, then, then there's no reason to take any extra chance. We try to mitigate risk as minimal as possible. At some point, you have to accept a certain amount of risk, and we know that. But um, I think coming from the Army was a, a big help for me because they beat us down with safety on a regular basis. That's always stuck with me. And so, like I was saying, that 2,000 feet that we fly at, try to be quieter. And also, it gives me the altitude in case something was to happen. Always have a place that I know I'm going to go to and I can make it because I have the altitude and we have the, the, the good camera. So, we don't need to be down low. We can use that camera and stay up higher because that altitude's your friend. The, the maintenance company is, is outstanding. So, I know um, that they're doing good work and they're uh, very reputable. So, I know that they're, uh, they, they've been nothing but good as far as uh, the safety aspect, taking care of the aircraft. It's, it's, it's another thing that we realized we had to, uh, we went to the AFSA website and started looking at, you know, there's, they have a, like a checklist to setting up a unit and uh, go through and read all that stuff. And okay, we've got to have a safety program. I've never had a, had a safety program before. I've flown the army, but you know, that stuff's taken care of, you know? So here we got to set everything up ourselves. So we're trying to set that up and have safety meetings and, you know, keep track of everything and make sure that we're staying on top of all that stuff. Even though we're just a small little unit, we still have to be doing that stuff as well. A vital feature of any mission-specific helicopter is the equipment it carries on board. Sergeant Tyler Johns from the California Highway Patrol explains more about the tools his team relies on during their work. So in our aircraft, we have, uh, so for our H-125s, our S-350B3E H-125, we have our, as far as specific emission equipment, we have the uh, FLIR 380 HDC, which is a uh, high-powered uh, forward-looking infrared made by FLIR. It's a great platform. That is part of a, a system uh, that we use, our mapping systems from Churchill Systems, and uh, it's integrated to the FLIR. 
And then we have a traffic beam night sun that's all kind of part of the same system. And that's good for uh, observing, uh, for surveillance. It really enables the helicopter to be staged off from a further distance. Before, we'd have to be down at between 300 and 500 feet on binoculars. Now we can stage off 1,500 feet, 2,000, 3,000 feet at AGL and uh, still uh, conduct the mission uh, as far as law enforcement and anything to do with surveillance or, or um, law enforcement. So that's that's one side of it. And, you know, we fly as a crew as a pilot and a, a, a paramedic flight officer. So it'd be a paramedic tactical flight officer. And that's our normal crew for our regional rescue program. And so, and then continuing on with equipment, we have the um, uh, the uh, Goodrich hoist, the um, you know, 500 pound capacity, and then uh, inside the aircraft we have a, a full glass cockpit. We also have some other uh, wireless intercom type abilities. Uh, so that, that's pretty much a general overview of the air the aircraft equipment that we use on a daily basis. What does the future hold for police helicopter units like the California Highway Patrol and the technology they use? What excites me most, I think, is the ability and the as technology increases, uh, our cameras are going to get better. Our, our interaction, our uh, ability for the stuff we are seeing to be displayed to not just one person or some downlink. It's going to be able to be integrated seamlessly with people on the ground. No matter who it is, we can assign people. I think that's coming in the future for us relatively quickly. So technology, the event of technology, but also our aircraft. Our aircraft are getting uh, lighter and they're getting more powerful. And uh, so it's going to enable us to have more performance. Uh, That's exciting. The California Highway Patrol is also looking at the role that small unmanned drones can play in supporting operations. Another exciting part of our program that I see in the future is the uh, our drone program. We're configuring our drone program to, to help assist in different areas of the state for our ground officers. And I think that's going to be an integrated part with our air operations program and how that, those work together. So that is pretty enticing as things come down uh, to be able to integrate our air, air operations program with the, the increase in technology that is uh, fastly approaching. Just more integration with the technology with more people is where I see it going. Back at Stockton PD, equipping its new Bell 505 with the right mission equipment was a critical step in introducing the helicopter. It was like almost everything else that we did. I didn't really want to try and reinvent the wheel. Um, I knew Sacramento had just gone through this, and we looked very closely at their aircraft and their equipment, and it was pretty much spot on with what we needed. It was exactly going to do the same exact work that we're doing, and uh, they set it up really well. So we pretty much mirrored their their same equipment package. Uh, the, the equipment will cost almost as much as a helicopter that's where uh, it gets uh, it can be tough and, and and like we talked about earlier we thought about going the used route and this uh, aircraft that we looked at had some old equipment on it but we just wanted to get our foot in the door we were just going to be happy to get anything but honestly i'm so glad that we went with the new aircraft with the new updated equipment because as most people know when you're searching for a suspect you're not going to see a silhouette of a person laying out there normally normally it's going to be a sliver of a heat source for a split second and the better camera that you have the more likely that you're going to recognize
recognize that and the, the more success you're going to have. And so I, I feel like we're really fortunate to have the new aircraft with the new equipment because it, uh, it makes a big difference. Operational flexibility is critical for all police and parapublic agencies today. Police forces, for example, can often be called upon for search and rescue missions. Such flexibility is all part of that force multiplier advantage that helicopters offer. Here's Terry Miauchi again. The technology that's associated with police helicopters is, you know, undoubtedly part of that, but, but really more so it's, you know, a lot of these operators, a lot of these police operators, they look at police helicopters as a, as a force multiplier, if you will, and you add that technology, like you said, the spotlight or a FLIR camera or the downlink capabilities, um, it just adds to that force multiplier aspect. That force multiplier is is there. It's really about putting the, the tools, starting with, with the platform to put those tools on, you know, so the police officers and pilots can can more effectively, more efficiently do their do their jobs, if you will. Technology has evolved to support this changing role and to boost helicopter performance. Such evolution has fueled the force multiplier advantage for airborne law enforcement. They have evolved, as have the, the aircraft. You know, that, that police camera, if you will, that imaging camera, well, let's put it this way, they didn't even exist 70 years ago. And, and today that technology is has uh, was not only been created but but has grown and advanced by leaps and bounds even even as simple as a, a police spotlight might seem the technology there for geo synchronizing and using it in association with your camera and that type of thing have greatly advanced you know the platforms themselves it's all it's all about you know things like station time speed to station useful loads communication effectiveness those types of things and the technology in aviation has advanced, and because of that, the, the technology in police aviation has, has advanced and, and improved that, uh, that airborne public safety. While some police departments, such as Stockton, have succeeded in launching and operating an aviation unit, it's not always easy. Yeah, you know, the, the challenges today, unfortunately, it's a very easy question today because there's, there's two prominent challenges in the police industry. You know, budget challenges are are always there. Um, it's perhaps highlighted of recent. You know, with a with a global pandemic and a and a local economic impact. You know, when it comes to to flying helicopters, to expanding those fleets, or replacing helicopters. And then here in North America, you you also have an unfortunate political challenge as well. That's tough to come by. You. You have groups, you know, both supporting and, and unfortunately, um, you know, condemning police, if you will. And that in itself um, has become a, quite the challenge. I, I would be amiss if I did not add safety to this. You know, I, I always would put safety uh, at the forefront. And, and it might not be a challenge per se, but whether, rather an advantage or excuse me, advantage. You know, and some of the greatest technology advancements um, have come in the form of of advanced helicopter safety, and that has definitely, you know, assisted uh, police in, in overcoming their challenges. And I'll kind of sum them up. We, this, this team that I'm on with Bill, all we do is is work with police operators around the world to include in the U.S. here, and it's amazing to, to see the commonality, you know, as we visit these units, and, you know, the common example, unfortunately, with these challenges today, there's some police departments or some police aviation units 
that are under threat of literally being closed down. Um, that that's the extreme example. Others are being given, you know, specific cuts, 10, 15, 20% type cuts. And so now how do they overcome that? That's the common example, if you will. What's interesting though, as these political unrest, you know, ensues, police aviation is at the same time being shown as a, a proven asset that's needed and, and greatly depended on. Um, so there's actually some agencies out there, some police aviation operators that are are literally in the process of expanding and growing and, and overcoming those budget obstacles with increased budgets. That's to me the, the positive examples out there. And, you know, one of the things I think in the end, police aviation will overcome these challenges. I know they will. Um, and, and that's because, the you know, at the root of police aviation, again, is the mission. It's all about that mission and it's all about public safety. And at the end of the day, that's what will win out and that's what will keep this segment strong, if you will. Next time on Revolutions in Vertical Flight, we hear how the helicopter's unique characteristics are today being employed across a range of commercial activities and we learn about some unexpected use of helicopters around the world. The Revolutions in Vertical Flight podcast is produced in partnership with Bell. A huge thanks for their support. A big thanks to everyone who gave their time to support the project. Revolutions in Vertical Flight was produced by Tony Skinner, with interviews conducted by Scott Gawley, script writing by Jared Cowan, and audio edits by Carmack Media. And I'm your narrator, Jennifer Beckwan. Until next time.